um, so you can hear in context where we are. This is Romans 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who, bless, uh, who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way your word reveals who you are to us, reveals your character, reveals your greatness and your goodness, and calls us to live in line with the good news of the gospel. And so we thank you for Romans 12, and we pray that as we, as we uh, hyper-focus on these two verses, verses 9 and 10, Lord, you would use them to reach into our hearts, Lord, and change us. And so we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit among us this morning. Amen. Um, our, we've, yeah, we've been in Romans 12 now for a little while, and honestly, today we're continuing down the same path that we have started upon the last few weeks that we've been in there. And, and it's really answering the question, what is it that marks out the Christian life? What are the marks of the Christian life? Uh, the first 11 chapters of Romans is spending a good deal of time plumbing the depths of the good news of the gospel. We've heard about how God has made a way for us to be reconciled to God in Christ. We've heard about how he himself has promised and sealed us with the Holy Spirit himself. We've heard about how he has made us sons and daughters of the living God. And now that we have these great blessings of peace and security and God's love forever, Paul begins to lay out how it is we are to live in the world. What is it that our life is to be defined by? So that's what we're doing in Romans 12. If you were to come over to my house for dinner sometime, you would pick up on the fact that we do things in a certain way. Every family has their own little quirks, don't they? If you would come to my house, for example, you would discover we hold hands while we say grace. If you're not a touchy person and you're not into that, too bad. You're in my house. This is how it goes, right? 
you're in my house, we're holding hands to pray, right? My house, my rules. Then over dinner, we're going to play a game. I've got a little graphic, this next one, the, uh, the arrows. We're going to play a game uh, every night over dinner, high-low buffalo. Um, everyone at the table shares the high of the day. Everyone at the table shares their low of the day. And everyone at the table shares their buffalo of the day. And I'm not going to explain what that means. <laughs> just to keep that air of mystery. Um, you just have to imagine what the buffalo is. Who knows? I'm not telling. But that's, that's, that's how we roll in our house. And in the same way, Romans 12, especially verses 9 and 10, give us the ground rules of life in God's family. Romans 12, give us the ground rules for life in God's family. Paul unloads a whole bunch of rapid-fire commands, like Twitter-style, right? He's just on a Twitter rampage. There's something like 22 separate commands here. 22 rapid-fire commands. And so we're just going to think through four today in our passage. But here's the, here's the big idea. This is what happens to a person and to a community when the gospel of grace begins to make its home in us. What happens is it begins to flow out of us. The gospel of grace begins to just flow out of us, and we begin to exhibit real evidence of God's grace in our lives. Jesus himself summarized the entire law with two commands. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others with sacrificial love. It's my daughter walking out the front door of church. <laughs> Thanks, Tamara. They're not allowed out the front. It's cars. Yeah. Um, love one another with sacrificial love. These two commands, right? Love God, love others. And honestly, I think the call to love can be a little bit vague. Do you know what I mean? Like love is a, it's a big category. And so today our verses are going to help us with some more specifics of what love looks like on the ground in real life situations. Okay, so we've got four commands for us today, um, four simple, straightforward commands. Firstly, let love be genuine. Secondly, abhor what is evil, hate evil, and hold fast to what is good. Number three, love one another with brotherly affection. And finally, outdo one another in showing honor. And so today, as we kind of linger over these four commands, what we're doing is we're allowing God himself to set the ground rules of this church and in, in our lives. And so if you're visiting with us today, it's kind of a cool morning for you to be here because uh, this is the kind of church we want to be. These are the great ground rules for our community. And when I say that, I mean, like, these have authority here. These commands have authority over us here. These are the ground rules, and so we're going to lay them together in four parts. Firstly, let love be genuine. The, uh, the word actually in, uh, is uh, interesting. The Greek word uh, for, for genuine or sincere is the Greek word anhypocritos, which is literally unhypocritical. Let love be without hypocrisy. And in the Greek, that the word in particular was used, or the word hypocritos was used for um, actors on a stage with masks, kind of playing multiple characters. And so I put a mask on and be this character and put the mask on and be that character. And Paul's saying love for the Christian is not to be like that. We don't play act love. We don't play act love. 
And that's important in a church. Because in a church, I think niceness, in inverted commas maybe, niceness is the expected norm. But it, I think we could all agree that niceness can be a very effective cover for hip hypocritical love, for pretense, for shallowness. And so we can, uh, with a veneer of, of pleasantries, hide a whole host of evil and shallowness. And so we must be on guard from the danger of hypocrisy. Jesus himself calls out hypocrisy as one of the major danger, as the major danger for those who would follow God with their lives. He pointed his finger at the hypocrites. This is what he said in Matthew 15, verse 7. He says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They honor me with their lips, and their hearts are far from me. That, that's hypocrisy. Jesus is saying your external lip praise is not matched by your internal heart praise. There is a disconnect, and not just a disconnect, a gulf, right? A chasm between that inward reality and that external reality. And so when we hear this call, let love be genuine, let love be not hypocritical, the question's got to be asked, okay, well, what happens if I want to do that, right? I, I want to love with genuine love, but I feel no genuine love. Do you know what I'm saying? God tells me to love. Okay, I'm going to do that now. I don't actually love these people. <laughs> I just like, I can't make myself do that, right? Um, hypocrisy is what happens when we're not honest with ourselves. We're not honest with others. We're not honest with God. And so we put the veneer up. And so the first thing we must do is get honest with ourselves to acknowledge there is a lack of genuine love in me for others. There is. Secondly, when we see this lack of genuine love in us, what do we have to do? We have to take that to the Lord in prayer, don't we? We have to bring this to the Lord and say, Lord, I see in myself a, an absence of the kind of love you have called me to love with, and I want that to be there. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to love with your love. But the one thing we can't do is just pretend that it's there when it's not, right? There's, there's too much at stake. Jesus taught us to take our hypocrisy seriously. Look, look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says this. This is, this is making the point about hypocritical love. He says, If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I've gained nothing. This is hypocritical love. A love where our actions and our hearts are not matched. And so this verse, it tells us we can do some remarkable acts of external love, and the Lord would call it hypocrisy. God cares deeply about your heart and the sincerity of your love. God cares deeply about your heart and the sincerity of your love. Let me read from 1 John 4, which is just one of the quintessential places in the Bible. We see the Lord lay this out for us. He says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. 
that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice of our sins. Beloved, God so loved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. The logic is airtight, friends. If God has loved us with this sacrificial love, we ought to love one another. He loves us, and so we love. And so firstly, let love be genuine. We don't want to be hypocrites. We want to be honest about our internal lack of love when we see that in ourselves. We don't want to hide that. We don't want to put up the veneer. We want to bring that to the Lord. We want to let our love be genuine. Secondly, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Other translations will say, detest evil, hate evil, but cling to good. I think what we're learning here, well, let me say it this way. I don't think anyone here is pro-evil, right? No one's here like flying the flag for evil, being like, evil's the best. No one's pro-evil, but I do think we are prone to apathy when it comes to the great injustices and evils of our world. Part of what it means to love well is hating evil. Part of what it means to love is to hate evil. Do you understand? Where we turn a blind eye to real suffering, real injustice, we are failing to love as God loves. This is why God is a God of justice and a God of judgment, because he's not going to let evil stand. He hates evil. And when we fail to hate evil, we are actually revealing a lack, a lack of genuine love in us, aren't we? Making friends with what God hates, we are to detest the evil that seeps into our lives, into our communities, into our families, into our marriages, and wrecks havoc among our communities. Friends, we should hate evil. We should hate racial injustice in our world that demeans and dishonors those who bear the image of God because of their skin color. We should detest that evil. We should detest the sexual slave industry that dehumanizes and violently dishonors young women for financial gain. We should detest that. The Lord hates evil. We should detest the corporate greed that crushes the vulnerable for stakeholders' gain. We should hate evil. We should hate anything that would come in and harm our children, our marriages, our families, our churches, our communities. We should hate evil. Note that this command, though, because the world's... Okay, we, we exist in an outrage culture right now where the algorithm that we're being fed fuels our hatred and our fear and our anger in an ungodly way. And so note that this command here is balanced. <laughs> it's not hate evil. It's not, hey, Christian, you should hate evil full stop. It's cling to what is good. Cling to what is There is a balance here in this command. And so we don't let this hate define us. We don't follow outrage culture. Yes, we hate evil, but we are balanced by the call 
to cling to good too. So beware of the danger of letting the hate swallow you up. Number three, firstly, let love be genuine. Abhor evil, hold fast to what is good. Finally, love, not finally, sorry, number three. Love one another with brotherly affection. I love this verse. Love one another with brotherly affection. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, he kind of expounds the four different types of loves we see in the, uh, the Greek verbs in the, uh, in the New Testament. Uh, and he gives them their Greek names. You've got storge, the love of affection that arises from like uh, a natural attachment, family, uh, child, a dog, right? Your, your favorite sweater, whatever it is. This kind of like, this is my, this is my deep familiar attachment. Uh, philia, love of friendship and camaraderie. Friendship, philia. Eros, the love of romance and sexual attraction. And of course, agape, that godlife, that godlike, self-giving, sacrificial love that Jesus demonstrated to us that loves even our enemies. Of these four, Romans 12.10 is it's a form of the first word, storge. It's actually a compound word, filio storge, which means tender affection and especially towards those who are within our family. So when it says brotherly love, the, the, the focus isn't on uh, brotherly versus sisterly or kind of like masculine versus feminine love. The focus here is on familial love. The word is just literally brothers in the, uh, in the New Testament, in the, in the verb, which is where the brotherly love comes from. But the focus is on the familial affection that exists within a family. The word is used elsewhere of a parent's love for their child. Deep friendship, deep love. And the God of heaven commands that we have this kind of affection among us. Not just that we love, but that we have affection for one another. That's different. That's not vague. That's warm, that is tender, that is that's something profound. Actually, under, underlying this command is a, is a deep theological reality. We are born, when we are born, we're born into our family. When we are born again by the Spirit of God, we're born into a new family. By the Spirit of God, we have a new family family and God cares very deeply God cares very deeply about the fact that his children are also brothers and sisters to one another he cares deeply that his children are brothers and sisters to one another and that they exhibit that not just that they get on he desires us to love one another with warmth and with affection and with tenderness which means that this church Every church that desires to be shaped by the gospel of Jesus ought to be a place where love is both felt and displayed. Where warmth and affection are the norm. I don't think the world has a category for this because it knows nothing outside of that kind of um, romantic or sexual love. But this is different. This is deeper. This is beautiful. And the church is to be a city set on a hill in the way it loves. This is what John Bloom writes about the power of love. He says this. He says, nothing is more godlike or gives God more glory and delight than love. 
There's something divine about it. Nothing is more godlike. There is something sacred about this love. Nothing is more morally beautiful, profoundly meaningful, and joy-producing in the human experience than love. And nothing is more offensive, violent, or destructive to the forces of darkness than love. I believe that. Nothing does more damage to the kingdom of darkness than Christians loving with the love of God. Children of God exhibiting the love of God in this world. Love has an otherworldly power. By God's grace, I believe that he has given this church a healthy dose of affection for one another. I think we heard it when uh, the cooks came and shared about their experience here just before. There is love here. There is warmth here. By God's grace, I feel that. I hope you do too. And I just want to take the opportunity to say, as your pastor, (laughs) I love you guys. I have such deep affection for this church. I've been here for 15 odd years, and I love this church. There is affection in my heart towards you. I don't think we've arrived. I don't think we've maxed out how much affection we can enjoy, as if we ever could. But by God's grace, I want to acknowledge the goodness of God in this place. However, as I said, I don't think we have arrived. It is easy for us to feel affection for those that are really similar to us, where we connect really naturally, where we have our same interests, people like us. But guys, what the beauty of the church is that the room is filled with people that are very different to us. The beauty of the church is where affection grows, where in, where in the world it just never could. That is beautiful. And so I pray that God would increase our love and give us new affections where none exist right now. But love be genuine. We don't want to be hypocrites. We want to hate evil like God hates evil. We want to cling to good. We want to love one another with brotherly affection, and we want to lean into that. And finally, we want to outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. I think this is the only time in the Bible that we are commanded to compete with one another. Right? So for those of you who are ultra competitive, this is your time to shine. Right? Leave Monopoly behind. Listen, no one wants to play that game with you anyway. We hate playing Monopoly with you. Chill out. Okay? Here's a new game that I want you to own for yourself. Outdo one another in showing honor. And the idea of outdoing one another isn't just competition. It's initiative. It's don't wait to be honored before you show honor. It's initiative. It's taking the lead in these things. I want to give us an opportunity today to have a go at this. This is a bit of a risk because I could get crickets, but it's okay. I want, to, I want to have us have, do a little bit of practice. In our, in our culture, it's important to recognize how countercultural this command is to us. We are, as Australians, radically anti-honor. You know how like, when you grow up in your family, you just assume that your family's normal, and then your friends come over and they're like, you guys are a bit weird. I think that, as Australians, we don't realize how weird we are on this front. We are extreme outliers. We are off the charts on, 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 the, global scale, on the global scheme. I remember talking to one um, Scottish, very experienced Scottish minister. He just moved to Australia recently. 
And he was saying he could not believe how it is that Australians treat their own prime ministers. He couldn't believe just the, just the disrespect. And fair point. I think the, the fact that we've had so many over the last 10, 15 years from every stripe of politics goes to show it's not about the person and it's not about politics. This is something else. It's about the fact that they're the boss. <laughs> it's about honour. We are radically anti-honour. I think, I think what it comes from is that we're so deeply committed to equality that the idea that there would be someone who would kind of rise above, yeah, the tall poppy syndrome, right? Just, it just goes against our, we're just hardwired to do the opposite of honour. We want to cut down to make sure no one gets a big head. I think that's what's going on. I could be wrong here. Paul, in Romans 12.10, has the guts to tell us Australians to honour one another. In chapter 13, he's going to tell us to do that specifically to our leaders, our, our, um, our government, government leaders. We'll leave that for another day. Point is, this is an adjustment for us. It is also incredibly awkward and uncomfortable for us because we do not do this well. However, this command is in the Bible because we need it. You have net, never met another person who was too encouraged in Christ. You've never met another person who felt too loved and too valued. You've ne never met another person who didn't need your encouragement. And so I think God is calling us to this, to cultivate this culture of honor in this church. And again, I'm going to give us an opportunity to do this, but let me just show you just quickly, I think, how this can look, how this should look. What I'm saying when I'm saying, what, what I mean when I say we outdo one another in showing honor, I think what this means is that we call out the work of God that we see in each other's lives. We say, friend, I see the grace of God in your life. I see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And that encourages me. And I thank Jesus for the work of God in your life. And so we call out the gifts that we see. When we see them in, in each other, we call out the servant heart that we see in one another. When we see the heart of Jesus in one another, we call out godliness when we see it in one another. We call out the love, self-sacrificial love that we see in one another. If we're paying attention to one another, we will see it. We will see the work of God in one another if we're paying attention. I'm not talking about flattery. I think that's where we get confused. It's, this isn't about saying nice things for the sake of nice things. <laughs> flattery can be basically just lying, if you think about it. This isn't about lying. This is about recognizing God's grace in each other's lives. And if we're keeping our eyes open, we're not going to need to resort to flattery. <laughs> Let me give you an example before I do open the floor. And um, John, you did it to me before, so I'm going to do it to you again, because I'm going to add to you in showing honor. Um, <laughs> bring it on, mate. I said it before, but I'll say it again. You guys are out there in rural South Australia serving Jesus. I respect that. Um, you've made real sacrifices to do that for your family, for yourself, 
the friendships you had here, and it's not easy what you're doing. But we see the grace of God upon that. I see the grace of God upon that. Christ is at work in your church. And we just want to honor that today as a church. We want to honor you and Crystal for the sacrifices you're making to follow Jesus in that way. I respect that and I honor that. So, it's awkward, isn't it? I feel awkward. I want to give you some time to practice this. Give us some time to practice this as a church, just for a few minutes here. Just where you are, I want to invite you, just call out. I'll step off a stage, so it's, that might help. We'll see. Um, I just want to shout out where you see the grace of God in someone's life in this room. And yes, it's going to take some courage, and yes, it's going to be awkward. I think we can do that. <laughs> I think we can hack it. And so let's try to do, outdo one another in showing honor for a few minutes before I close. Good luck.
selfishly looked others or her's own needs many, many times. And it gives so much joy through uh, what she can do with flowers and how she allows me to spend so much time with my music. Small group this week's gonna be fun. Because you're all required <laughs> to do some honor time on Sunday. Uh, on, on whatever week you meet, sorry. Um, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, but hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I so appreciate how well you guys outdid one another in showing honor just now. That was wonderful to be part of. As we do these things, what we're, what we're doing is living out a counterculture. Counterculture that shows something of the goodness of God to our world. Um, let me tell you a quick fun fact about Neptune. <laughs> I learned this from uh, my friend Sam Albury. Not my friend. Um, <laughs> Nept Neptune was the first planet to ever be discovered via maths. That is cool. What happened is that they, um, this astronom astronomer, John Couch Adams, in Cambridge, England, 1846, he theorized that Neptune must be there based on these gravitational effects he could see on other planets, especially Uranus, around, around it. And so based on these calculations, they, he figured out, or the astronomers at Berlin Observatory figured out that if you point a, a, this mighty old telescope at this pinprick of the sky, we're going to see Neptune. And lo and behold, Neptune, just like the math said. That is pretty cool. So get this. They discovered a planet because it had to be there, not because they saw it, but because they could see its effects on the world around it. And they ended up concluding, based on what we see, Neptune has to exist. And it did. I think that's so cool. But in the same way, the love we share and the honor we show, the brotherly affection that exists within the household of faith, it leaves effects. And the watching world should see the irregularities and say, this is not normal. This is not the, the, the natural ground rules of our world. Something else is at play here. They should be able to see the gravitational pull of the love of God among us as these things play out among us. And so that is the, that's the challenge, that is the calling for us as a church to live these things out in such a way that the watching world can see and conclude that God's love must exist.
And you just might say, I think, after hearing a sermon like this, geez, Mike, that just sounds unrealistic. Because people don't do that, right? Like people, like, we don't do, do this sort of thing. I think we proved, I think I proved you wrong, which is the, the showing honor thing just then, because everyone did do it. Um, but you might even say, you know, we have our own ground rules. And I think, you know, outside of the grace of God, there is some ground rules that exist in our world today that run counter to Romans 12. Let love be superficial. Get used to evil. Make friends with it. It's not going anywhere, so just try not let it bother you. Love one another, but from a polite distance. Because people are messy and exhausting. So keep, keep your distance, right? Keep your boundaries up. Nice, strong boundaries. Outdo one another in showing contempt, especially online. Right? Make sure you receive the recognition you deserve, no matter the cost. Make sure you get your, your recognition. And we just want to like, just reject that. Those ground rules go out the window in this place. We reject the ground rules of this world. And the call today is to allow our lives be shaped by the gospel of Jesus. To allow ourselves to be shaped by his love. To live the cruciform life where our life is is shaped and molded by the pattern of Jesus in this world. Because if we think through these four commands, I think what we see is Jesus himself, don't we? Jesus has loved us with a genuine love. He loved us with words and with actions. He didn't love us with platitudes or with pretense. Jesus hates what is evil. And he loves what is good. And in fact, he died for evil people to make them good. Jesus loved his friends with deep, warm, brotherly affection. He says in John, I think it's 15 or 16 around there, I don't just call you servants, I call you friends. I call you my friends. And finally, Jesus, he has honored us. He has honored us so well. He has honored us. He suffered that dishonor so that we might be honored. He suffered dishonor so that we might receive the honor that he deserves. He has outdone all of us in showing honor. We're just playing catch-up for the rest of our lives. Finally, if you're you're here and you're not a Christian, this is the invitation that I want to give you to you right now. This is the kind of life God is calling you into. This is what the love of God does in the life of a person. He has loved you with a genuine love. He has loved you with affection. And he's inviting you in now to join him in that love, to receive that love for yourself. And so I encourage you now to receive, by faith, full final forgiveness in the cross by his love. We're actually going to move into a time of communion now. Um, So I'm going to invite anyone and everyone who has received that love of Christ for themselves, who has received that full and final forgiveness in the cross, whoever here has been washed by the blood of Christ can come and join us in communion. If you're visiting from another church, you are so welcome to join us if you have confessed your faith in Jesus. If you're here and you are visiting with us uh, and you're not yet a believer, firstly, I'm so glad you're here. You're so welcome here. Um, I would ask that you maybe let the elements pass you by because this is a sacred thing for us to have faith. And when you're ready, you can participate. But if you're not sure whether that is you, if you haven't yet made that decision of faith, um, I just ask you to to honour the... the, um,
the sacredness of, of what we're about to do. Um, can I just ask for a few volunteers to hand out the communion? I'm going to ask Chantal, Sally, and oh, who's going to do it first? Who's going to get the... Sorry, Chantal. <laughs> this is at doing one another and showing honor. Four people. Love it. Um, communion comes to us as a gift from Jesus. Communion comes to us as a gift from Jesus. It is a gift given to us that we might honor him together so that whenever we take the cup and drink the bread, we remember what it is he has done for us. Let me explain. Uh, I mean, Paul explains from 1 Corinthians. Thank you. Paul explains for us in 1 Corinthians 11. He says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Right, so Paul is passing this on. He's received it from the Lord. It's a gift from Jesus. He's now passing it on to you, to us. That the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. One of the ways we show honor to Jesus is through, through singing, through prayers. But one of the ways we show honor to Jesus is through obeying his command here to take the bread and take the cup. And as we do these things, as we hold, physically hold the bread and physically hold the cup that represents his body and blood. It helps us remember. It helps us appreciate what he has done for us. And so I'm just going um, to play a little bit of music for a little while and just to give you a few minutes to be with the Lord, to confess your sins. And then we'll come together to celebrate and drink together. So hold on to your elements. Uh, I'll give you a few minutes now.
1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Lord, as we take this bread and remember your life lived, Lord, we remember your your obedience to the Father in all things. We remember your steadfastness, your perseverance under trial. We remember that you suffered betrayal at the hands of your friends. You, you suffered abuse and torture for our sake, Lord, but you did not flee. But in love, you endured the cross for the joy that was set before you. So, Lord, we thank you. And as we eat this bread, we remember. Will you eat with me? And Jesus, we thank you for your blood. Your blood that poured out on that cross, Lord, which covers all of our sins, makes us new. And we thank you what it is you've done. Would you drink with me? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the cross. And pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, we're going to finish.